My name is Kath Reince. I'm 47 years old and I've written poetry my whole life. It started during a trip to the grocery store near my apartment and I went during a prime shopping time and all of the newer grocery carts that were easy to maneuver around the store were taken leaving only these like old big metal carts that just didn't fit in the grocery store and they were like just cumbersome uh and so I had to take a bigger cart and I was not too happy about it and then during my shopping I was bumping into displays bumping into people and then I was checking out and I thought I can't wait to get rid of this grocery cart and then the next thought I had was well how about what, what about how the cart feels? Um, knowing that you can't wait to get rid of it. Well, how do you think the cart feels about that? And it's just trying to help you. And then the next thought was, well, you need to go home and write a poem from the point of view of that grocery cart. And then the thought after that was, then you need to take that poem and fold it into little squares and put them in right by where you'd put your child, like in the front seat, you'd see a little like white piece of paper sticking out. And I wrote, open me on it. So that's how the project started. The inanimate object objective. Mm. And what is the objective of the inanimate object objective? To let you know how it feels. <laughs> that's mm. it. That's the objective. It's got something to say. <laughs> what is it? I am big. I am sturdy. I am proud of my size. And I will not apologize for the narrowness of the maze in which I live. I did not design the produce section, the towers, the tubs, the rows of boxes, barely big enough for one of me. But dare I mention my smaller, squarer, double-decker cousins. Screw those guys. They're like two stacked baskets of hell on wheels, shiny handles and frames of black steel. Look, I get it. It's like pushing around a gun. Fast, efficient, gets the job done. And I've seen the way you look at me. Your annoyance that I'm the only cart left. I'm a tank, a barge, and you want a life raft. Your reluctance to choose me for the job. You're a cartist. You're a cart snob. So what if I knock over a display? Clearly, it shouldn't have been in my way. I've carried your children in my metal lap. Let their legs kick at my frame, pinched at their thigh chub like a grandmother. I was their carriage, their horse with no name. I held your possessions, your groceries, your meals. I keep my mouth shut about the grapes you steal. But you cluck your tongue at my big ass? What about how I feel? I do you people favors every darn day. So the next time you choose a cart, choose me. And if someone gives you the stinky eye, just say, please get out of our way. Wow. I love how you get right in there and you feel every line. <laughs> yeah, got to. 
I wrote it. <laughs> so I might as well feel it. So I was at the library and I was looking through the paperbacks and there were like towers of romance paperbacks nearby. And there was this one with kind of a bright red header that said blaze on it. And then in like, there's a black bar and then it said blazing bedtime stories, volume three, which I thought was hilarious <laughs> because, <laughs> because how many volumes are there and how many volumes do you need? Uh, so everything about it was just a typical romance book. Like the picture of it was a chiseled man with his shirt almost off. And there was a lady with like a flowy nightgown and I flipped through it and the stories were just very basic, like male, female sexual encounters. It was just very vanilla. And I wasn't interested in reading the book. But what I was interested in is how did this book feel about having these stories inside of it? And the answer is horny, horny <laughs> for a man to read her, you know, <laughs> which I can imagine is pretty rare. There's maybe yeah. checking those books out. And that's what she would really <laughs> want. She would want some man hands to manhandle her. <laughs> so that's how that came about. My name is Blazing Bedtime Stories, Volume 3. I live at the West Alice Library. Honestly, if I don't get checked out by a man soon, I may expire. My words may evaporate. That's how dry my ink is. I need a man to slowly open me like it's the first of 21 nights of his lending period to feel a calloused finger flick my pages, initially with some reserve, his eyes drinking in all of my words until he is compelled to plunge into my plot. Just don't tear me. Oh, don't act so surprised. I've got multiple blazing bedtime stories smoldering inside me. What do you expect? I am literally filled with want. It's my subject. It's how I'm classified. All I know is I have a spine that pines for every fiber of its binding to be bent cautiously at first to see if I can take it. And I can take it. I crave a good cracking, especially from some demanding man hands. And that is never the hand that I'm dealt. So, hey, lady, I can feel it in your phalanges. You are as lonely as me. Why don't we go to a few places together, like a singles bar or Thunder Down Under or Gun Range football game, Home Depot? I mean, really, I don't devise the details. I just contain them. Locate some hulking brute with a shirt half removed and bulging pirate pants. According to my author, he should just materialize metaphorically. Require that he save you from some sort of danger that inevitably rips your blouse and tousles your hair and then heave your breasts. That'll do it. As he pulls you close, I fall out of your purse. He picks me up and says, gee, that guy on the cover looks just like me. Naturally, he'll be compelled to read. And thus, the key to some undercover action may be for you definitely for me. And from there, it gets really hot. Hey, 
don't just sit there, grab a pen and get this down. I think this book just developed her first plot. <laughs> I love that. So the next one is also about a book, this lone little book that I saw sitting on the shelf. It was in the science section. It was this blue little cover and I was intrigued by it. So I just started looking into the author and I found out that he had just recently passed away. So I was thinking about how the book would feel about that. I Am Soil Physics by Theo J. Marshall in the Central Library. I have to apologize. My cover is bluer than usual. I've had some upsetting news. I've heard the others in my section whisper about someone's author passing, and I've been having an awful feeling like my content has been lacking disconnected to its core. Then my cousin, the handy science answer book, heard from his neighbor rooted in good soil, cultivating and sustaining authentic discipleship that Theo Marshall had indeed expired at the age of 101. I could feel my chapter on flickering cluster structure shudder and every word changed font size, huddling closer for warmth. I was constructed with devotion, with unquenchable thirst for new discoveries in porous material. And it's impossible not to feel rooted in that. You need to know some facts. Dr. TJ was born in Australia in March of 1907. He studied soil physics in California, completing a PhD in the subject in 1938. I wasn't written until 1979, but I feel like I was underground long before, just beneath the surface. He sifted me together like so many seeds, and I began to germinate. As soon as my first word hit paper, I started to breathe a little bit. I got a gasp at my first paragraph. He must have spent more time with me in that creation stage than he did with Anne his wife in Adelaide, Australia. I do adore alliteration. How very literary of me. He was 98 when he published his last research paper. He grew tree fruits and vines. And I felt like his tree fruit as long as I knew he was alive. He hung around for seven years after his wife died. No one will care about me the way that he did. I'm just a little blue book on soil physics. I haven't been checked out in over 10 years. Where have all the agronomists gone? So were you a librarian at the time? I heard that you might have been a librarian. I was a circulation aide, okay. which is different. So librarian, you have to take like college courses and stuff. So you have to go through a program, but circulation aide, I think you have to be a student so I was in college at the time and you just had to take a test through the city and um, it was super fun. It was one of my most favorite jobs because uh, just being around the books was awesome. And you had a bit of control because like you had to collect fines and if there was like a bratty kid that came and like was checking out a bunch of books and they had stuff overdue, you could be like, no. 
you've had these seven goosebumps books out. They're way overdue. I can't let you check anything out. <laughs> um, but it was also interesting to see if you could see people's histories of what they had checked out before. And it was just like, what, what were these people into? It was like discovering a big part of their personalities and likes and dislikes that you don't usually get to see. It's an open window to what people are into. And it's super fun. I bet. Yeah. And with a lot of regulars, like this woman, she had just a car packed with crap. It was a hoarder car. It was just packed to the gills with papers and stuff. And she would sit in the library all day and just print out more papers. Whoa. Stuff into her car. Yeah. I do actually remember maybe even as a kid going to the East Library and seeing this station wagon in the parking lot that was full of papers and candy wrappers. And yeah, it was like station yep. wagon. Brown, brown station wagon, stripes or whatever on the side. And she would just sit there and and she had like this elaborate research that she was doing and it huh. just involved printing shit out all the time. I wonder what she was researching. Probably something I crazy. would love to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. My name is Red Solo Cup and I'm an alcoholic. My last drink was a few minutes ago and I'll be picked up again anytime now. I started drinking in the 1970s. Seems I was invited to every party. Right away, everybody loved me with a passion and intensity that matched the bright hue that covers me. Every girl and every fellow clutched my red body, not blue or yellow, and wherever I was, a keg seemed to follow. I was a frat party fixture taking in swilly beer or a deadly punch mixture. I boast an 18-ounce fill to accompany any toast, and I held all of it down. With me in hand, there wasn't a frown around, and then came the really good times. I started playing a game that utilized my lines, called throw pong, or Beirut, or beer pong. My kind and I were grabbed by the throngs, Oh, the glory days. I could do no wrong. And I played that game constantly all over the country. And in 1987 in Hoboken, New Jersey, I started playing flip cup like crazy. Everybody wanted to play with me. And suddenly I'm everywhere at once. Basements, fraternities, backyard barbecues, tailgating parties. And I had a blast. No one wanted a glass. My polystyrene ass was searched for and requested by name. The Dixie Company could only bow their heads in shame. I started to filter outside the USA. I am the only product sold on the website Party Cups UK. And on the homepage, they say, we sell one product, the Red Solo Party Cup. And we believe that red cups are the essential ingredient to an awesome party. Now, that's a super high honor for a cup to achieve. And I think it all kind of started to go to my head. I've heard it said that all parties must come to an end 
I hit my bottom pretty recently after I started hanging out with this country singer named Toby, who loved me so much he sang a song about me. And then that song was performed on Glee. The song is ridiculous. And especially when drunk, Mr. Keith is a jerk. And I suppose I should thank him for all the props and the work holding even more ping pong balls, spirits and beer. But I fear I am over it. I am abandoned and hated when I am empty and you are faded. I never get enough H2O. I am constantly dehydrated. And then at the end of the night, I am faded for a boot stomp and a landfill. But still, I am Red Solo Cup. I crave to be held by you. And I hate to be a Scrooge, but I could really use a cup of water in me for every cup of booze yeah <laughs> uh, yeah so you know the bags that the solo cups come in they are only held together with a twist tie so <laughs> <laughs> so it was so easy to just go in and just like open up the bag and then slip the poem in that's ridiculous yes yes i wonder like i just wonder who who got those bags and did they open up the paper and read it? And what did they think? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it would totally like kill the magic to be like, uh, how was this received to give the feedback? To- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would kill the magic. <laughs> yes. People are like, people have told me you should um, have a website so that people, you know, could comment if they received one of your poems or something. But I don't, I mean, that would just. Yeah. Yeah. I got your poem on my car and I hated it. Don't do that again. <laughs> no, this is guerrilla, like interactive art that just yeah. slaps random people. Yeah. <laughs> the inanimate object objective slapping random people since yeah 2012 and at the best you get it to someone who is like wow i feel so cared for and chosen and special and this is amazing and unique and interesting and at the worst someone doesn't notice it uh, the second worst scenario is that someone doesn't like it, yeah. but you've still made them think, which is better than not thinking. Yes, thinking's always better than not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you should lead a meditation class. <laughs> okay, I am your car. So I'd put this poem in people's windshields. It's about time you knew. As a general rule, the way us cars feel about you humans is we don't really like you. We dislike most other cars too. Our level of discontent varies. American cars are among the worst. Malaise and hostility is our curse from birth. Piss and vinegar flows through our pistons. Angers carved into our carburetors. Of course, we're genetically predisposed to road rage. 
bled into us from workers paid a meager hourly wage. They didn't like their jobs and it's built into us. Everybody blames their parents for the jerks they become. Because we secretly hate you, we want everyone else to hate you too. You have less control when you drive than you think you do. As soon as you're buckled in, the thought control begins. Passing on the right lane is one of our favorite games. You fall for it all the time. Cyclists are last on our list. Thus, when driving, you behave like they're committing a crime. Cut them off. Edge them off the road, we cry, and you're only too happy to comply. Pedestrians are time-wasting targets with feet. They stroll across our turn lane like they need to cross the street. Giving them the right of way is not the law. That's a myth. Just swerve into them and make them run so maybe we'll miss. Car phones. That was our brilliant plan. Another way you became an asshole to your fellow man and you played right into it with that phone glued to your hand. And through all this, you love us. You pamper and praise us. You plead with us when the going gets rough to just make it up this hill and you will pay whatever it takes to service us. And then you wonder what crackerjack box these jerks got their licenses from and swear that this guy riding your ass is deaf and dumb. But next time you honk your horn and stick your head out the window to cuss, entertain the fact that maybe, just maybe, it's not you or them, it's us. And if you want to get back at us, if you want to fight back, concentrate, be conscientious, hold your steering wheel tight, pass this on to another car tonight so they can see the jig is up and everyone can straighten up and drive right. Wow. <laughs> that took a lot of gall putting that on cars. Huh? I know. I know. I totally, I always wonder, like, what what do people think when they, when they get that? Like, what do they, do they even read it? Have you ever hit, hit around the corner? To... No. I just put it, I just put it on the cars and then got the hell out of there. Wow. <laughs> Is it like a page or is it like more than one page? That is two pages. Yeah. <laughs> like a big two pager that I just would like fold up and then stick it under the windshield. Wow. If you were a um, inanimate object at this juncture in your life, what would you be? At this juncture, I would love to be a record album. Mm. Like I would love to be, cause that's much like a book. It's, it's something that holds and contains all of this creative energy inside of it. And it's this conduit, you know, to get to the magic, you have to listen to the album. You have to open the book. So yeah, record album and preferably a record album in the hands of a collector who takes good care of his albums and listens to them mm -hmm. that would be awesome what album do you think you would be I think that I would be some album that I don't know exists special special like music lovers yeah deep cut that's like 
that's buried that all of a sudden you're at a party and someone's like, listen to this. And it, it, it's your favorite song. And it, it, it just cracks your head open. And you're like, where I got to find that. When I was like a budding artistic young woman who thought deeply about everything. I saw this movie called Chungking Express from the director Wong Kar Wai based in Hong Kong and it has like a, several different stories kind of weaved together but one story involves a cop who goes to this food takeout shop all the time and there's a worker there and she's interested in him he's got a girlfriend but then they break up and the ex-girlfriend drops off the keys her keys to his apartment at the takeout stand. Well, then the girl working at the takeout stand would take the keys and she would go to his apartment when she knew he wasn't there. And she would do things to his apartment. She would make these little small changes. And she would like replace his worn out dish towel with a new dish towel. She would replace his like, skinny bar of soap with a new bar of soap. She would put um, different fish in his fish tank. And when he would come home, instead of saying, hey, who was in my apartment and clearly mess with my things, he would like look at the new bar of soap and say, you've gained weight so fast. You must stop indulging yourself. Yeah. And to the new towel, I had to write this down because this is exactly what he said. You've changed so much. You can't just switch personalities like this. Her walking out is no excuse. And then he sees that like he's doing his dishes. So he hangs up the dish towel and he sees the wet towel dripping and a voiceover says, it was such a relief when I saw it crying. It may look different, but it's still true to itself. It's still an emotionally charged towel. Wow. And that was like freaking beautiful to me. Like just totally, <laughs> I just love that. I would recommend that movie, by the way. It's so beautiful. What is it called? It's called Chung King Express. Yeah, wow. His relationship with the objects was more important than like their functionality even. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you to Kat Bryant for coming onto the show and sharing your object objective with us. Thank you to Dale, her husband, for alerting me of the existence of Kat and her poetry. Thank you to Anton Seeger for the theme music of The Subtle Forces, my podcast, which if you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts because it helps us to reach more ears. And lastly, if you are encountering some subtle force out there that you don't understand. Remember, you have both 
your logic and your feelers to interpret it.